You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we continue to revisit some of my favorite podcasts from the past in this Millennial Investing Rewind. If you've missed our previous Rewind episodes, we've started to reshare some older episodes that are my favorites for a few reasons. One, we get a bunch of new listeners each week, so the new listeners may not have heard this episode before. Two, even if you've been listening for a while, you may have missed this episode when it originally came out. Or three, even if you've heard it before, it can be a great episode to learn from again. If you've already heard this episode or you're not interested in hearing it, feel free to just skip it. There's no harm in that, and you can pick up with our new episodes next week. All right, guys, that's all I had for you for this new intro. Everything going forward is going to be from the original show. Hope you guys enjoy it. On today's show, I discuss with Ryan Scribner how to build a successful online business, which started as a side hustle for him, but is now his full-time hustle. We also talk about affiliate marketing and where to begin if you're just starting from scratch. Ryan is a successful lifestyle entrepreneur and YouTuber focusing on stock investing, personal finance, and building streams of passive income. Ryan is quite active on social media, so be sure to listen to the end to get his social media contact info so you can connect with him after the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram with my username Robert at TIP, which is spelled out as Robert A-T-T-I-P. I post on Instagram nearly every single day, so if you're looking for more content or you just want to reach out, be sure to follow me on Instagram. Now, without further delay, let's jump into today's episode with Ryan Scribner. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Robert Leonard, and with me today, I have Ryan Scribner. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks so much for having me on. It's really exciting to be on. You're telling me it's a newer podcast, but it sounds amazing. So I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to jump in on this exciting new venture going on. Well, I really appreciate the kind words. Equally excited to have you here. Let's start by talking about your background a bit. How were you able to quit your corporate job to become a full-time entrepreneur and investor? What led up to that point? Yeah, definitely. So I guess the first thing I would say, just like a slight correction, is that I wouldn't call myself like a corporate job because I was kind of more doing like blue collar work when I was working my nine to five. So initially, it's kind of a funny story. I, was, uh, I started off as a past due bill collector for my local power utility. And I have a two-year associate's degree in electrical construction. So that kind of helped me get my foot in the door there. So I did pass due bill collections for about eight months, which was how you started out with them. So people always kind of are interested in this story because it was kind of unconventional line of work. But I was going door to door, you know, shutting off power at that point in time for people. So it was a very confrontational job. Eventually, I, I got a full permanent position within that company where I worked in the planning department. But it's funny because you know, a lot of people, especially these days that are like looking to start something, whether it be a channel or a podcast or an app, everyone seems to have the goal of, oh, I want to make money with this thing. And as funny as it is because of how much I have made with this channel and then my brand investing simple, my goal initially was never to make money. So it's kind of funny because it was just something I was doing as kind of a hobby on the side. So when I was working 
as a planner for this utility company, I had a fair amount of downtime between jobs. So we would go out and do site visits for customers that were looking for service. And then in between that, you know, you would do your planning work, but there was also a lot of time where you pretty much just had some dead time between your jobs. So I spent that time, you know, researching, investing. I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time, watching a lot of channels. And then one day I, I had a couple of these channels pop up on my radar in the investing niche. And it was funny because I was watching these videos and I had been studying a lot about investing myself because I was working in, in a union job, had very minimal expenses. So I, w- I had a ton of money to invest. And it was kind of like all of these things just clicked at me for once or clicked for me. Basically, you know, I had this natural interest and passion for investing. I was doing my own investing on the side. And then also, which was interesting too, I was surrounded by my peers at this job who made you know six-figure income. But a lot of them, believe it or not, were essentially almost paycheck to paycheck. And it really blew my mind how someone could make that much money and still be paycheck. So I started thinking about, well, what is it that these people are doing with their money versus myself? And then you know, I always thought YouTube was a really cool platform. And so one day the idea just struck me after seeing these different channels on YouTube that were talking about money and investing. I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do that too. It'll be a good creative outlet. I can give back and share some of this information I've learned. I can also document some of my own investing. And so it was Wednesday afternoon in October of 2016. I was just driving home from work and I stopped at Staples and bought a whiteboard and some markers. And I set up believe it or not, kind of uh, embarrassingly in my, uh, my spare bedroom at my mom's house. But that's, that's how it all started. What's interesting about that story is a few things. Is One, I hear from a lot of really successful people that they don't start out with the goal of making profit. They start out just trying to help people bring the world value and then the profits follow. So I think that's a really important concept to internalize and think about as we go through this interview because a lot of people are getting into things nowadays. I think there's a lot of courses out there that promise 12 months you'll be a millionaire, things like that. But in reality, you need to go into things without expectation of necessarily just making a ton of money and really work on providing value. And then the profits will ultimately come as they did for you and as they've done for many people. And so throughout your journey in your job, was there really just an aha moment for you that just made you realize that you weren't going to last in the nine to five job and you just had to branch out on your own? Or did it kind of just evolve into what it is today as it just continued to grow and you realized that it was a a real business? So I would say there wasn't any specific moment where I was like, man, I got to get out of here. You know, this isn't for me. But like overall, and here's the thing too, I don't want to sit here and say like every nine to five is bad. I'm not somebody who says everyone out there needs to quit their job because obviously we need essential jobs out there in society. And some people are very passionate about the structure of a nine to five. Uh, But for me, that structure and that certainty that I had, because I was in a, a union job, I was off probation. It was pretty much like guaranteed, you know, I'd be making six figures within five years. And it was like I could have that job for as long as I wanted to, working for a public regulated utility that's kind of immune to the market conditions. Like at that point, you're a lifer with this company. And I remember like I spent so much time thinking that's what I wanted, especially when I was in college. And then it was the day that I got off of my probation period with this company and I was like a full-time union employee and everything. It hit me. I was like, wow, I actually feel like crap. There's no growth past this point. Sure, I'm going to progress through this job and in five years, I'll cap out at the top pay end. 
I don't want to, at 25 years old, have maximized my learning and maximized my growth. And then at that point, just sit and do that job for the next 20, 25 years. That certainty, for some reason, I hated that certainty aspect of the job. And the other thing too, was it was just kind of the culture. A lot of people who are familiar with unions, there's the mentality of do as little work as possible, drag your feet. And I found that that was the culture with this job, but it was something that also started to affect my personal life outside of this job. So yeah, you would drag your feet at work with your jobs and maybe people complained a lot, but then all of a sudden I found myself complaining more at home and with friends. And I, I just didn't really like that road I was going down. I didn't really want to be somebody who ran the clock, worked slow, and was a complainer. And so between the culture and just not liking the certainty, I just knew I was like, man, this is just not the right path for me. I was such a hard decision for me to make too to actually quit my job to do this because like when I did quit my job, it was very early on in my channel. I had little proof of what was going on. I was making minimal income. So it was largely a shot in the dark. And I didn't necessarily have the support of all of my friends and all of my family members. I mean, some people really did support me, but a lot of people were just like, what? What are you thinking? Because everybody was kind of saying, oh man, you've got it made 20 years old, no debt, no college in loans, because I went to community college, making 70K on track to make 100K in five years. So by most people's standards, I had it made. But by my own standards, you know, I just knew I'm like, this is just not, you know, this is not the right fit for me. Yeah, definitely. By most people's standards, that would be quote unquote making it, especially at that point in your life. Let's talk about how you were able to build five income streams by the age of 23. I think that's really impressive. So how did you do it? And what types of income streams did this consist of? Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because that was one of my videos. I think that's one of my more popular viral videos that I've done. And just to explain too, when we talk YouTube, at least in this finance community, we call like a viral video one that tends to get like a million views or more. But to be honest with you, building up these different streams of income, all tending related to my channel initially at that point in time, it was just something that you build one at a time. And I think a lot of people, they hear that the average millionaire has seven streams or seven sources of income. So they say, oh, I got to go out there and build seven sources of income. When in reality, you know, you build these things one at a time and then they stack on each other. If you go out there and try to build seven streams of income at once, it's, it's not going to go well for you because you're just going to be too distracted. But you know, the first one obviously was the ad revenue from the channel. When I started getting some views, I started making a little bit of ad revenue here and there. And then an- another source was getting into the affiliate stuff. And I think I really break, I break the affiliate stuff down, I think, into multiple sources in that video. Now I kind of lump it all together. The first affiliate source for me was uh, the Amazon affiliate program. So that was a relatively easy platform to promote. Essentially, I would recommend, hey, here's my favorite book on investing, you know, The Intelligent Investor or Stock Investing for Dummies. Click on the link to get your copy. And so that would be probably the first two there was the ads and then the affiliate stuff. And then from there, you know, I got into digital products, which isn't really a huge revenue piece for my business, but that was when I released my course on investing, which was back in 2017. And then, you know, if you want to count more at that point, I didn't have 
the real estate investment. I do have that now. But at 23, you know, I also had my stock investing. So that was another source there, earning me, you know, dividends and growing my income. And then it was also, you know, the occasional sponsored post on my channel. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, they think of a YouTube channel. And most people think, okay, the model for making money is you have people watching your video, people watch the ads. And then you get paid being one source of uh, revenue. But the reality is there's more than one way to monetize that type of platform. And so for me, when I first dove into this full-time, I was just solely relying on the ad revenue, which at that point, I would barely even call it a business because it was more or less just luck making a video, having it get a bunch of views and then making some money. But over time, it transitioned from this hobby type thing into more of a well-rounded business that was diversified into the affiliate side of things, the sponsorships, the course, and then my personal assets and my personal investing. But is there any real secret to it? I wouldn't say that there is. And I, I know a lot of gurus will tell you otherwise, but there's not. The only truth of it is, you know, you build these things one at a time and then you build up your personal assets and then you allow that money that you have in, you know, real estate or stocks or whatever it may be to pay you dividends or produce cash flow, which would be an additional income source for you. We've talked about it. We've alluded to it so far throughout this interview. You've mentioned that you've built a very popular YouTube channel or what I would consider to be very popular of over 530,000 subscribers as of today. And you're well-known and a successful affiliate marketer. For someone who may not know what affiliate marketing is, what exactly is it? I know you briefly mentioned it through the Amazon program and maybe some other things, but I think there might be some misconceptions out there exactly what affiliate marketing is. So explain to me exactly what it is and what it might look like outside of just Amazon. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a business model that's so interesting to me because most people have no idea this business even exists because they're just out there surfing the web or watching YouTube videos, and then they click links and make purchases, and it never crosses their mind that somebody might be earning commissions from these clicks. But the best way that I always explain affiliate marketing to a complete beginner is it's kind of like, let's say you have your favorite restaurant out there that you go to once a month or whatever it may be. And let's say you were at this restaurant and you know the manager came over to you and said, hey, I know you're here all the time. You must like this food. I'm going to give you a card to give to your friends and they're going to get free meal here. And then every friend of yours that comes in, well, I'm going to give you a free meal when you come back in as well. So it's kind of like that where you're making a recommendation to somebody about something that you love or that you enjoy or a product that you use. And then if that person takes you up on that recommendation, in this example, go to that restaurant and cash in that card. Well, not only are they going to get something out of it, in most cases, you know, you're going to get something out of it too. So that's basically what affiliate marketing is. It's a business of making recommendations or helping people the customer journey by producing content online. That's how most people are leveraging affiliate marketing these days. So what it is that I do is on YouTube, you know, I have my different reviews of different brokerages, or we may have a video on the top investing apps or top budgeting apps. And then in August of 2018, I partnered up with a friend of mine and we branched out into the blogging space and we launched Investing Simple, which is our finance blog. And that blog is 100% affiliate income. We don't even run ads on it. It's just all the only way we make money from that blog is just from referrals. So just for an example here, let's say you have two popular robo-advisors out there. You have Wealthfront and you have Betterment. Well, people may be curious 
what's the difference between Wealthfront and Betterment? Well, we'll produce an article on Wealthfront versus Betterment. And if somebody reads that article and finds that information to be useful, and if they decide to sign up for one of these robo-advisors, if we're affiliated with them, we can earn commissions from that traffic. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found on the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. I think that affiliate marketing often gets a bad rap. Maybe not always, but I think in a lot of cases it does. Why do you think that is? So I completely agree with you. And also as somebody who has a course out there on affiliate marketing, I also get labeled as kind of this snake oil salesman too. So the reason why it has a bad reputation, in my opinion, is because when people hear about affiliate marketing, there's two groups of people out there in terms of affiliate marketing, in my opinion. You have those who are ethical affiliate marketers, And then you have those who are unethical because the reality of the situation is you are making recommendations or referrals to strangers. Now, my cardinal rule for affiliate marketing is I would not recommend a product or a service online that I wouldn't recommend to my neighbor. And the reason is because if I recommend something to my neighbor and it's crap, and I'm literally just recommending it to make money, well, it's going to be pretty awkward when I go check the mail because he's not going to be very happy with me. But a lot of people don't 
follow that same kind of moral compass because they'll recommend these products that are high commission that aren't a good fit for that person just to make money simply because it's anonymous in a way. And so I think you have a lot of people out there that are promoting it's primarily digital products on uh, what's called an affiliate network, which is essentially a collection of many different products you can earn commissions on. I'll just throw a name out there. We have ClickBank. That's one that a lot of people use. I'm not saying that every product on ClickBank is illegitimate. I'm just saying that the ClickBank affiliate marketers tend to have not such a good reputation in terms of the products they recommend. And so there's definitely... It's like any business out there. You have those who operate in a completely ethical way, and then you have those who are more scammy with it or just don't have as strong of morals when it comes to the service that they're providing. I've also heard you talk about how anyone can succeed in affiliate marketing and they don't need to have a following first to be successful. And you even said that you might argue that not having a following is an advantage. How is that? So it's funny because I've talked to a lot of people, I've mentored people within, I guess, my friends group too, about the business of affiliate marketing. And what I tend to run into is like, let's say I were to take a, if I were to take a YouTuber with 100,000 subscribers who had done no affiliate marketing, and then if I was trying to teach them this business, well, the issue that I run into is that they've already become pretty used to and comfortable with the way that they're making money, which is probably running ads on their channel maybe sponsorships here and there. So they already have the wrong mindset around this business because they're literally just chasing views to get views on the ads to then earn ad revenue. So then when you're trying to explain this business model, that's not really at all related to creating viral content. Instead, it's about SEO, long tail keywords, keyword research, comparison content. I would honestly rather start with somebody from the ground up who doesn't have a following on YouTube or a following somewhere else because they become so accustomed to that way of making money, it almost becomes a mental block for them where they don't really understand affiliate marketing or they don't see the potential with it. And also, I just think it's easier with an audience to have them used to whatever you're doing from the beginning. So for example, if you had 100,000 followers on a given platform and you never once promoted a single product, you just did value, 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 and you were just providing a ton of value. And then out of nowhere, you start saying, hey, you know, here's this link to go buy this book on Amazon, or here's this link to sign up for this brokerage. People aren't going to like that because they're not used to it. So it's definitely better to right out of the gate, you know, have people understanding what they're going to expect from you. And if they realize, okay, this is going to be a mixture of you know, valuable content, and they're also going to segue that into products that fit our needs, people are just used to that and they know what to expect. So that's like the two main reasons why I say that you really don't need a following. And in many cases, it's actually easier if you don't have one because you don't really have that pre-existing programming of, of how it is that you're making money. And then you can just have your audience used to the affiliate promotions trickled in throughout your content. How do you balance that line? Because you don't want to be pushing affiliate content too frequently. But like you said, if you want to keep them so they're familiar with it or you want to make any meaningful revenue, you do have to put it out there from time to time. So how do you balance that line of being too much or not enough? Yeah, it's definitely tricky because one thing that I'm sure you guys have learned too with your podcast is you can't please everybody. You know, you're going to always have a naysayer or somebody who doesn't like the way that you're doing something. But one of the things that I do is I just pay a lot of attention to my comments. And even though I have 
over half a million subscribers, I'm still the one-man show in terms of my comments on YouTube. It's something I'm, I think I'll always hold on to as one of my tasks. So every time that someone on my channel gets a heart from me or a comment, that's coming from me. So I pay very close attention to my comments. And people will oftentimes comment and say, oh, wow, you know, you're really pushing this right now. Or, oh, wow, you're overdoing it with the affiliate stuff. So I just keep an eye on that. And I also will be very careful. Like, for example, let's say I have a given company I'm affiliated with and I mention them in a video. I'm not going to mention them again for at least a month because you really don't want to burn out your audience. And a lot of people end up doing that because they see the money that they're making or they, they want to get all this traffic for these affiliates. And so just video after video after video, they're just plugging these affiliates. And over time, that just burns out your audience because people are watching your content for the value. And there is a way to provide value but also have an incentive for yourself. But you don't want to be 100% commercial with your content, having it all be related to, oh, this company or this brand. You just got to, in my opinion, talk to your audience, keep track of the comments. And if you're constantly seeing people saying, hey, you're really pushing this product a lot right now, you may want to ease up on the promotion and focus more on just the value. We talked about the specific affiliate programs you're using, but we didn't talk about necessarily the results of those. And so what are you finding are your most effective affiliate marketing services or products that you're providing to your users? So what we found, and it's funny because this has both been true on my channel and my blog as well, the comparison content has been huge for us. And so initially, when I first got into affiliate marketing, I was just doing a blanket review of the product. So let's say, for example, you have a brokerage like uh, M1 Finance. On my channel, I would just do M1 Finance review. And that initially got me a fair amount of traffic. It got me some conversions and I was making some money. So then I branched out and I said, okay, well, let me do this with other brokerages that I personally like and enjoy the service of and, and think is a good option. So I kind of went with these different brokerages and some crowdfunded real estate platforms. But after I kind of went wide with it, working with a bunch of different companies, really, it was late 2019, I started saying, okay, how can I not go wider, but deeper with each one of these affiliates? And so I started looking at what other people were doing, coming up with ideas on my own. And one of the most effective things has been that comparison content. So rather than just doing M1 Finance review, you know, we'll also do versus comparisons. So M1 Finance versus Robinhood, M1 Finance versus Acorns, for example, just to name two off my head. So not only are we just doing this dedicated review, which would be your short tail keyword, well, we started going after more long tail keywords. And even on the blog, as funny as it may sound, we're getting into three-way reviews now. So Betterment versus M1 Finance versus Wealthfront, for example. So not only just comparing two different services, but now three services. So that's been a huge revenue driver for us so far in late 2019 and early 2020 is that comparison content. And then the other thing too has been going after more long tail searches. So basically what I'll do is take one of these companies I'm affiliated with and just do research on what are people searching for outside of just M1 Finance review. And I find that people are asking what happens with dividends on M1 Finance? How does M1 Finance make money? What happens with taxes? So instead of just answering the general question of reviewing this product, 
I started writing articles and making videos around more of these long tail searches that don't have as much traffic. But when you have many of these videos, it does add up to a, you know, a substantial amount of traffic. And that has definitely driven more conversions. So just to summarize, it's been the comparison content and more long tail keywords that we're going after. And so which of your platforms do you think converts best for you? Is it your YouTube? Is it your blog, your website, maybe even social media? What is converting best for you? So right now, it is definitely the YouTube channel. But it's funny because if you ask me this question a year from now, I bet you will have a different answer because of how rapidly the blog is scaling up. Because we're at about a year and a half in right now. And anything that you build online is going to take a long time for it to start seeing results. But we've put in a lot of work on this blog, and we're starting to reap some of the fruits of our labor, seeing some very strong numbers. But for now, yeah, I would say if I were to break it down as a pie, we're probably doing 85% of my affiliate revenue is coming from YouTube right now. I'd say 15% is coming from the blog. I don't think any is coming from social media. Occasionally, you know, for example, Fundrise is one of the platforms I'm affiliated with. I'm also an investor of this platform. And so I get dividends from them on a quarterly basis and I reinvest them. So when I earn my dividends, I'll pop on my Instagram, do an Instagram story and say, Hey, you know, I just earned $82 of passive income. Swipe up if you want to learn more. And I've done the tracking on it before because I can do tracking based on specific links and see, okay, how many conversions came from this social media post. And it's usually none, maybe one or two here and there. So yeah, it's definitely 100%, I would say, is from the blog and the channel with 85% right now being from the channel. But I'm willing to bet in a year from now, it's going to be more skewed towards the blog. How about maybe paying for advertisements through platforms like Facebook and Google to generate affiliate income? Is that a strategy that could work? It is a strategy that could work. FinCon earlier this year, I was there and I was talking to some affiliate marketers and I was talking to some people who use that as their strategy and they were making money with it. But just to be completely honest, I have never once done it. And I guess for me, the way I think about it is if it's not broken, don't fix it. So I'm able to leverage my platforms and I have, I have ranking authority on YouTube and I have ranking authority with this blog. So not everybody... And I also have these existing affiliate relationships too, which helps a lot. So if you were brand new to this, you're not going to be able to make M1 Finance review as a video and have it be anywhere near the top of the results because you don't have any proof on YouTube and you don't have any ranking authority. So for me, because I already have that authority, having done three years of videos or more, and we've written over 100 articles on the blog, because we have that authority, we can do a comparison piece of content and have it rank high enough that we're able to make some money from it. However, if I was like completely green to this and I had no audience anywhere, I would definitely try it. I would try to see if I could make money running ads. And just to give you guys an example of what this might look like, Let's say you did a video on YouTube called Top 3 Budgeting Apps for Millennials. And then you had three budgeting apps, all of which you were affiliated with. So if somebody clicked and downloaded, you earned a commission. Well, if you had specific tracking as to how much you were earning off that video alone, you could then run an ad campaign on YouTube and say, I want you to run this video as an ad, show it up on the homepage. And then you would be looking at, okay, what is my cost per view? 
How many conversions am I getting? And let's say I dump $500 of ad spend into this video. Am I making more than 500 in affiliate conversions? And if you're making, you know, six, seven, eight hundred dollars, then you have a profitable campaign there. And it may be one that you decide to scale up. So I know people have done it. I just personally haven't. And maybe down the road, what I could see doing potentially, maybe I, I might hire somebody to try to do that for our businesses, for the blog and for the channel. But it's probably not something I would independently try to do just because I like to focus on what's working right now for me. And that's just creating content and relying on organic search. Once somebody has built up the type of platform and following that you have, where does somebody go? What is next? To be honest, it all depends on what your goal is with this type of business. If you're looking to leverage it into speaking opportunities, you can go that route with it and you can speak at different conferences. Maybe you want to get into digital courses. A lot of people will take their expertise, package it up and sell it in a course, which is something that I've done. And you also may find people that literally build a business to sell it. I know a lot of people in this space who have built up blogs, build them for 5 or 10 years, and then they have an exit strategy and their goal is to sell it and then maybe do something else with that. So it really comes down to what aspect of this business that you enjoy the most. And uh, for me, I just love doing the business. It's not really like I have an exit strategy. The blog, we do have an exit strategy many, many years down the road. We do want to sell that. But as far as my channel goes, I may not be on there as frequently five or 10 years from now. But I mean, I still see it as something I'll always be doing, which is documenting my own investing journey and sharing my own information and research with people. And I just, I don't know, I just love getting on camera and making videos. And so that's the enjoyable part for me. But I guess as far as where you would take it, you know, it just comes down to what's your favorite aspect of the business? Do you like the speaking? Do you like the notoriety? Do you want to build yourself up as a celebrity and try to get verified and do speaking? So many different avenues you could go with something like this. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. 
Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third-generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. As someone who talks about stocks on your YouTube channel, you're probably a stock nerd like me. And so I want to talk about your number one stock pick for 2020. What is your favorite stock pick for this year and beyond and why? So it's funny, this year I definitely have gotten a lot more conservative just because you know seeing that we're in what I think is the late stages of a bull market and a lot of people think that as well. I said, you know what, this may be a good time to get out of some of these tech stocks and get into some more blue chip or dividend stocks. So I really spent quite a long time in the month of December and November, like studying a lot of different stocks, looking at the uh, the Dow 30 and figuring out, you know, what companies do I really want to invest in? And so right now, the one that I picked, which is going to be a big one for me that I started investing in is IBM. And I think it's because this company, a lot of people view IBM as their legacy business, which was this hardware company that made computers. And a lot of people, if you ask them, including even myself not long ago, had no idea what, it, what does IBM even do? How are they even around anymore? And so what it is, is they're transitioning out of that legacy business into a lot of very exciting new industries and technologies. So if you look at the stock, it's been a snoozer for the last, I think, 10 years. In my opinion, you know, I feel that there's big potential based on their acquisition of Red Hat and the different technologies and industries that they're involved with. So that's where a lot of my money's going. And they're a great dividend payer too, which again, gives you that potential to be paid in two different ways. Not too long ago, I think it was back in 2018 and maybe in the early parts of 2019, there was a lot of talk around Warren Buffett's stake in IBM and how he sold a lot of it or even all of it and how he took a pretty big loss on that. What makes you confident that your investment is going to be successful when it seems Warren Buffett, one of the best investors of all time, has given up on this stock? At the end of the day, you know, I'm just basically going off of my own research into the company. And uh, I think seeing what it is that they're involved with, being involved with blockchain and these different technologies, I just think that they're involved in a lot of these businesses that are going to be big in the future. I mean, of course, you know, stock market investing, you could be right, you could be wrong, but it's a company that's been around for a very long time. At the end of the day, it's just something that I have a, a good feeling about having done my own research on the company. And obviously, like, if I had to pick companies at this point in time, and I had no idea of what the share price was, IBM would not be my first pick. But at this point, you know, in 2020, we're looking at a time when a lot of companies are trading at very high valuations. So I was not comfortable buying into a stock at this point in time, trading at or near all-time highs. So right off the bat, that eliminated the majority 
of these companies out there that I may want to invest in, but just the price doesn't make sense right now. So I was ultimately looking at companies where, okay, they're trading at a, at a valuation that's not insane. But anytime that you're investing in a company where they're not trading at all-time highs, when the market's at an all-time high, well, there's something going on within that company where you know investors are, are weary of it. So you know, I'm trying to capitalize on some of that pessimism and maybe right with it. I may be wrong, but that's that's the beauty of investing. And to compare you to Warren Buffett really wasn't fair because you never know what his situation was. Maybe it had nothing to do with the stock and maybe he just needed the cash to deploy into something else. That's probably unlikely given how much cash he has sitting on his balance sheet, but Maybe he had a very high conviction idea and he really wanted to allocate that percentage of his portfolio to it. And I know he's been investing heavily in Apple and maybe he saw that as a better opportunity than, than IBM. And so there's, there's so many different reasons as to why he might have gotten out of that position and that just might not make it the right fit for him, but it could be a great fit for you or it could be a great fit for, for someone else. So definitely it's an interesting pick and I know there's a lot of debate going on about it right now. And as a stock investor myself, it's, it's going to be an interesting one to watch play out over the next five, 10 years. If you were stripped of everything that you've created so far, all of your followers and subscribers, how would you start over today? What would be the first thing that you'd go out and build or create to start generating passive income? If I was stripped of all of my platforms, so if I woke up and my Instagram following was gone, my email list was gone, my channel, my blog, assuming I still had the knowledge of this business, It sounds silly, but I would essentially build this business again. However, what I will say is that I wouldn't necessarily focus on YouTube as a platform because there's just a lot more income potential with the blog. Now, again, when I started my channel, I had no plans of making money. It was just something I did for fun, as I said. But now that I understand the earnings potential of some of these blogs out there, especially in the finance space, at the end of the day, we all have to make money to live. And if I'm looking to make money, I would definitely focus more heavily on the blog. But I also might dabble with some different stuff. I might try something like, okay, can I run ads and make money through ads with affiliate marketing? So I probably would dabble with some different things. I might try building up some Instagram pages because it's pretty easy to build a following there. But yeah, essentially, I would just take this business model of affiliate marketing. And this is, to me, I guess why I'm so passionate about this business model is that once you see it and once you understand how it works, it can be applied to different niches out there. So maybe you apply this in the finance niche and you build up a blog. And then maybe down the road, you build a blog in canoes or kayaking. You know, It's the same principle that which is provide valuable content, help people with their customer journey or shopping decisions, and then earn commissions from the referrals. What is the biggest thing that you know now that you wish you knew when you had gotten started? So for me, the biggest thing that I wish I knew when I started, like if I could go back in time and talk to myself at the early beginning, I would say understand how valuable what it is that you're creating is. Because you know, when I first started making videos out of, again, my mom's spare bedroom, I didn't think this was very valuable. I mean, I knew that the content itself was good information and it was stuff that was genuinely helping people based on the feedback I was receiving. But I never would have guessed that I would have huge brands reaching out to me to potentially run sponsorships or I would be speaking at you know, conventions and stuff like that. So I think had I known that earlier on, I probably would have had a bigger vision for what it is that I was creating. And I'm also extremely happy with where I'm at right now in terms of audience size and the lifestyle business I've created. But I probably would have told myself, 
dude, you have no idea what it is that you're creating right now. I mean, it's amazing how many people have created personal influencer channels on YouTube now, like Kevin O'Leary. There's even um, Russell Brand. He's making his own videos. And it's crazy because like, I'll see Kevin O'Leary do a video on YouTube and get as many views as me. And I'm just like, holy crap, I'm, making, I'm getting as many views as Kevin O'Leary on YouTube as just you know, me documenting my investing and talking about finance. So I would have told myself, like, you're building something much bigger than it is that you think you are just by making these videos. And I think that's still true and possible today for people who start different ventures, whatever it may be. I think you never know at the beginning what it is that you're creating or how big of an impact you're actually going to make. Yeah, I can say the exact same thing about podcasting. Every day I look in the podcast charts and you see new podcasts from from some really big names. Kevin O'Leary, Barbara Corcoran, you start to see some really big names that are starting to get into the podcasting space. And it's, it's really interesting to realize that your podcasts are up there with these people. So it's definitely, I definitely understand what you're talking about there. How were you able to handle the patience that you needed to grow this? Because growing a YouTube channel takes a lot of time, specifically in our niche, the personal finance, investing, just overall money niche. It takes time. There's a lot of competition. How can someone who's getting started today with their own YouTube channel or blog or even social media following, how can they harness patience to really understand that it's not going to take a day or two days or a week or probably even a year? It's going to take a long time. How can they be patient? So for me, that's always been one of my strong suits. I've been a pretty patient person. I do know exactly what you mean because I've talked to people who are early on in the process. Just to give you guys some numbers, the first seven weeks of doing YouTube, I was doing it 30 hours, 20, 30 hours a week. I was like a madman. I was immediately when I got home from work, cranking out videos, editing videos, and all weekend doing so much effort into this channel. And in seven weeks, I got 100 subscribers. So I was averaging two a day. I was messaging all of my friends and family. I was following strangers on Twitter, DMing them saying, Hey, can you check out my channel? So I was doing a ton of promotion on my own to get 100 subscribers. And in the first you know, two months of my channel, I think I made $4 in ad revenue. And now you have to be a little bit bigger to even make the ad revenue, which shouldn't matter anyway. But you, know, you have to think about that. I probably had 200 hours of work to make 4 bucks with no concept of the fact that I would ever make money with this thing. I just liked it. I thought it was fun. It was a good hobby for me. And so the thing that I always tell people in terms of an audience when they're starting out and trying to stay motivated, we all tend to like think about statistics. We think about, oh, 10,000 visitors on a blog or my video got 500 views. Well, if you had that many people in a room, that would be a lot of people. You may think about, oh man, this video sucks. It only got 500 views. Well, if you had 500 people standing in your front yard, you'd be like, holy crap, that is a lot of people. So I think a lot of us, myself included, I got to check myself on this a lot too. We detach from the fact that every view, every hit on our website, every like is a person. So when you have 100 people, that that would fill most rooms. And then when you're talking 1,000 or 10,000, that could fill a stadium. You just have to think about every single view is a person. And so maybe you're not thrilled with getting 100 views a month on your blog or 100 views a month on your channel. But you're impacting 100 people's lives. And that's substantial. And it's only going to grow from there. I absolutely love that because that's exactly how I think about it. And in today's day and age, I think it's tough because you'll log on to social media, you'll see somebody else with hundreds of thousands, maybe even a million followers or more. And you start to think, well, I'm 
insignificant, right? But then when you think about it the way you just mentioned, it's so true. If you think about stepping on stage in front of an auditorium or just giving a presentation or a keynote in front of the number of people that you have listening to your podcast or YouTube channel or even reading your blog posts, it's a really different way to think about it. It's really it's hard to even put into words because it's just it's so powerful. And when you start to think of it that way, you really are impacting a lot of people, even if the number seems small. Well, Ryan, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I think you provided a lot of value for the audience, specifically those people who are interested in starting a side hustle or starting to generate some sort of passive income. I think that's really popular these days, especially amongst millennials. And when we talk millennial investing, it's so much more than just stock investing. While that is a big component of it, there's also so many other things you can invest in. And a lot of those things include side hustles and starting your own little operational businesses. So I really enjoyed our conversation today. I think it's going to provide a lot of insight to the listeners and really help jumpstart them on their journey. For those who want to learn more about you, all the things you've built and connect with you, where can people go? Yeah, definitely. And again, you know, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a really awesome discussion. And I just, I really agree with what you said there about investing has changed from just, okay, putting your money into the stock market and earning dividends to now with the internet, you know, we can invest in these digital assets that can potentially make you money. And I see a lot of people these days taking their time and investing it into some kind of something that's going to provide them with some extra money. And then they can invest even more money into assets, which just amplifies the wealth you can build. And I try to cover all these topics. I try to cover a little bit about investing, how I'm investing. We look at things that I've good investments I've made, bad investments I've made, look at it all. And we also talk about my business here of YouTube and the business of the blog and also different business ideas. So I think you hit the nail on the head there with the different ways of investing. But yeah, if people are looking to learn more from me, you know, I would say if you're curious on the investing side, you know, I would say our blog is a good place to check out investingsimple.com. And then if you're looking for more about me personally, maybe you want to watch some of my videos, my income breakdowns or anything like that. That's just going to be Ryan Scribner on YouTube. And of course, if you guys have any questions for me after the podcast, I can't guarantee I can answer all of them, but I always do my best. And if you just shoot me a DM on Instagram and say, hey, I'm coming over from you know Robert's podcast, Millennial Investing. I take it more seriously because then I know you listened to the very end of this. You heard that call to action and I'm going to value your time there as much as you value mine. So if you have a question after the podcast, shoot me a DM on Instagram. It's Ryan Scribner Official. I'm sure there's going to be links as well, but I'll do my best to answer those questions for you guys. Ryan, thanks so much for that offer. Everyone listening, that's very generous of Ryan with his time. So if you're interested in learning more about this, I highly recommend that you take him up on that offer. Shoot him a DM. Let him know that you heard him from the show. Let him know that you enjoyed it. Let him know what you have questions about and take that conversation over there and and learn as much as you can while you have this opportunity. I, I really recommend that. And I'll be sure to put links to everything that we talked about throughout the show, all the different resources and platforms in the show notes. You guys can check them out there. I'll also put links to all of Ryan's work, his YouTube channel, his social media platforms, everything in the show notes. You guys can go connect with him there. Ryan, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Millennial Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. To access our show notes, courses, or forums, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.